Okay, I'd like to invite you to come back to your seats. We're going to get started. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, which you just uh, saw and found out. Um, and I want to just, I want to just thank um, uh, the Perrys and Vicky and Lisa and everyone else who went into that that time. And um, one thing that um, I, I know as a as a pastor, elder, leader of the church, that healthy leaders usually make a healthier church. And so um, that that encouragement, those kinds of things, it, it means a lot. To, to us, and I can speak for all the couples that were up here and the families that were up here, but um, you all are the beneficiaries of that eventually because, um, like I said, healthy families, healthy pastors uh, make healthy churches. So welcome to Providence Road. We're glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us th this morning. We're honored that you would spend Sunday morning with us. We're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the last Sunday. We started this back in May, and now we are wrapping it up today. Wrapping it up today, and we're finishing um, at the end of chapter 7 here, starting in verse 24. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. In the verse 28, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, once again, uh, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for this sermon and your um, divine providence that you've included this sermon of Jesus in your word and you orchestrated that happening, that, that this um, massive teaching that Jesus gave, it would be here at our fingertips for us to read, think about, um, uh, taught through. All of those things, we're thankful for this sermon. And I pray that as we pray every week that you would change us as a result of, of, of digging into it this morning. And that as the scriptures are, are going to tell us this morning, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would actually be doers. Help us be the kind of people that take your teachings and your word and, and we're changed by them from the inside out. And then we're able to, to live according um, to, the, to the word and according to, to, your word, to your scriptures. And we thank you. It's for your glory and our good. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So we saw here that, that um, Jesus finishes the sermon, and then Matthew, who's the writer of the gospel, steps back in and finishes this chapter. He kind of puts a period, a, a punctuation on the Sermon on the Mount. I want to read those two verses again. This is where we're going to start, and then uh, work. Uh, we'll go back to the beginning after this. Listen to this, especially as he talks about Jesus' authority. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. The crowds felt that there was something different about Jesus. For he was teaching at them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So there was, there was something different about him than the people who usually were teaching them. This was a Jewish audience. They would have 
definitely understood this idea of rabbis that would kind of gather a crowd and teach. They, they understood this. And so for us, it's, it got me thinking this week, it, when, when we have something massive going on in our life, like we need something desperately, we go to authority figures. Let's just say you're, you're sick, and maybe it's a life-threatening illness, and you are going to go to a doctor because they have the authority to talk about the matters that you're struggling with. You may listen to friends, but you're going to trust the words of the doctor for a diagnosis or treatment plan. Let's say for um, you, you have some matters dealing with a court. Maybe it's like a will or something. You're not going to go to anyone else but other than probably a lawyer because they know how to do that kind of thing. Their authority in that matter. When things like, massive things like this come into our lives, we want to seek the authority. And in matters of purpose in life, our value in life, how to find ultimate fulfillment, how to find ultimate freedom and joy and matters of eternal life, God is the supreme authority. He, he's the creator. He knows what's right and wrong. He knows what paths lead to life. He knows what paths will lead to destruction. So Jesus here is talking about matters of life, life and death. And he is God incarnate. He is speaking um, as God here. And so we're, we should listen to him. We should be obviously listening to him throughout the whole sermon. But especially today, as we wrap this up, let's hear these words as the, the supreme authority is teaching on them. This is the authority over all matters of spiritual life, spiritual death, fulfillment, what brings us value. And, and no rabbis could have made this claim on authority. They, they would have had to appeal to another rabbi or reference another rabbi or reference the rabbi that they, would have been, that they studied under to give themselves authority. But Jesus didn't have to do that, and the crowds noticed it. The crowds just thought, man, this, this guy speaks like he has authority. So we're finishing up the sermon today, like I said, and Jesus is finishing the third of three teachings uh, or really pictures um, to wrap up the sermon. And he's, he's, he's taught a lot. He's gone through all these topics that we've seen. He comes to the end of the sermon, and these are his last words. And we've seen the last couple weeks that there's some urgency. He's putting choices before us. He's putting, really, the last two weeks and this week, he puts two ways to live, two choices that before us, two ways to, to build the foundation of our life. He wants action. He wants us to do something with this. He's probably thinking in the moment, I don't want them to, to waste all the things that I've taught them. I've unloaded a lot of this on them. Now, now let's do something with it. And I think that's what is going on um, in Jesus' really posture as he teaches this. And what he's doing here, he's giving us a, a decision grid or a decision matrix, really for all of the teaching that he's given in the Sermon on the Mount and, and really all the teachings in, in the Scripture the cell, themselves. But when we come to these topics, when we come to issues in life, there are two ways. This is what Jesus lays before us. There's flourishing and then there's destruction. Jesus says choose flourishing. He wants to choose flourishing. There's, there's life and there's death. Jesus wants us to choose life. This is the God who made everything, who made you and I, who knows everything about us. He knows the way. He knows the way to flourishing. So let's listen to him. And Jesus here is, once again, separating himself from all the other teachers and teachings that have gone before him. He's drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, my way is the only way. My way is the only way to life. So let's, if that in mind, let's jump in. Matthew 7, verse 24. 
says this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So he starts here with everyone, kind of a broad, anyone or everyone who hears what I just said in the sermon, what I just said in the sermon and does them is wise. So there's this hearing component and then there's also a doing component. And then it says this person will be like a wise man. And wise here, the Greek word there for wise comes from um, really the Greek virtue tradition that was very popular in that day and age that pre preceded uh, Jesus' ministry. And one commentator said that when they heard the word wise, especially in the original language, it would have been uh, one who has learned, there's, it's a process, one who has learned through practice to live with prudent discernment. Uh, one who has learned through practice to live with prudent discernment. This is what a, a wise person is. And then he begins this illustration, right? So he says, it's like a wise person who built their house on the rock. And verse 25 says, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And what Jesus is describing here is a storm, right? The elements of a storm, rain, wind. Wind, these kinds of things that, that beat on a house. And he's saying if your house is built on the rock, it'll withstand it. It'll hold up. It may get shaken, may take a beating, but it won't do, uh, it won't be destroyed. It won't do major damage to it. Let's look at verse 26. Then he flips it, kind of talking about another kind of person. And everyone, starts off the same way, who hears, there it is again, who hears the words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. He doesn't stop there. He says, and great was the fall of it, or massive, or huge, or epic was the fall of that house. He's trying to draw our attention to how hard this house fell. So Jesus, in these two verses, gives us an illustration of a different man. He said the one that hears and does not do it is a foolish man, and this original, in the original language, this word for foolish is moros. If you listen close, that's where we get our word for moron, okay? Usually that's kind of a term we just kind of throw out there, but I think it adds a little weight to this. It's not just foolish, this, this, this person's a moron, right? Who hears of the path to life and chooses not to do it, and the foundation becomes shaky. Now let's think of the things these two, these two people have in common. They, they build the same house, more or less, on the exterior, right? Every, on the outside, the things that you can see, the houses probably look the same. It's probably built for the same purposes, right? That's the reasons why we would want to buy a house. Place to raise your family. Place for your family to sleep. Shelter over their heads to be safe. Place to maybe run a business out of. To host parties, holidays. Make memories, right? These are the, these are the reasons why... We want to live in homes. And these, these two guys probably built the homes for the same purpose. They're similar in that way. But there's one difference, right? Jesus says the one difference is one built their house on the rock and one built their house on the sand. And most of us kind of get why we don't build our house on dirt or sand. is because it, it shifts. It, it's, it's easily uh, swayed by the elements. Um, you have to lay down at least wood or some concrete or some stone to make that house firm because sand is weak. And what Jesus is warning us here, if you build your house, and really a house here is a metaphor for a life in some ways, if you build your life or your house 
um, on sand, it will be in jeopardy. And those, those people you're trying to protect that are inside the house, they'll be in jeopardy as well if that house falls. Okay? And, and, and uh, we, this is hard for us to, to I think, think about it because I don't know how many of us have seen like really poor foundations. It's often part of the house that's, that's hidden. But I found some pictures that hopefully illustrate like what it looks like to not put your house on a strong foundation. Right? Like that's probably not going to work. Like a, a stilt or a post from your house on a boulder. They're probably not smart. Here's another one. Tires, probably not, probably not a good foundation. Then if you're, if you're really in a bind, you've got this one. If you just make a mistake and you're like, okay, we're just going to fix it. We're going to do it with a little Band-Aid, right? right? That, that, that's a, an attempt at some humor, right? Uh, maybe it didn't work, but I just saw these and I was thinking, what, what could illustrate the, the moron, right? The moron that tries to build an important structure like a house on something that's just not going to work. And in a more serious tone, in this spring, we had some really awful flooding in northern Oklahoma. And, and the, the houses that were along rivers and creeks, some of them uh, fell into the rivers and creeks and were swept away. Why? Because the, the eroding uh, sand from the rushing water, those, 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 those uh, creeks and rivers got so full that it eroded the sand all the way up to the house, to the foundation, and the foundation, they end up toppling into the water because of the sand that was in proximity to those houses, to their foundations. And if we think about those of us who have looked at houses or bought, a, bought houses, like the foundation isn't the top of the thing on your list when you're, when you're buying a house. It's not even the 50th thing on your list. You're not thinking about the foundation when you're driving through looking at houses. You're thinking about all the other things to buying a house. That's not, it's not attractive to, to think about a foundation when you're first looking at a house. But we all know, those of us who bought a house, when it does come into play, when? Inspection time, right? You put a contract in, inspection time comes around. Now the foundation oftentimes is the most important thing. And it is the thing that will um, oftentimes break a contract or break a deal for a house. Because any homeowner knows that thing's important. If we're going to live here for a long time, that thing has to be firm. So let's look at that. Those are the two foundations. Those are the two houses. Let's talk about the two men. The wise man counted the cost, didn't cut corners, understood the engineering, what it took to build a house, and probably learned how to do that sought out some, some mentors in that area, maybe even hired somebody to do it himself. But he, he, he knew uh, the right way to build a solid house. Then you have the foolish person, foolish man. Thinks he knows better, probably cut corners. Obviously didn't consult the experts because the experts would have told him, yeah, yeah, don't, don't build your house on the sand. Don't put it on dirt, put it on some rock, put it on some concrete. And what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here is that Jesus is the master builder. He's the master engineer in how to construct a life that will lead to freedom and joy and value and worth. And, 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 and he has the authority to say these things to us. He knows what will lead to life, and he knows what will lead to destruction. Okay? So those are the men, right? Now, the storms, right? Why does Jesus throw in these elements, right? He, he, because these are, these are kind of the enemies, or they, they show a foundation for what it's really worth. 
And uh, these are all elements of a storm, right? The rains, the flooding, the wind beat against that house. And so there's an assumption here in Jesus that we're all going to go through these storms. They're all going to happen. Now, some storms are brought on by our own sin, right? We just create our own messes sometimes. All of us in this room are guilty of that, right? And if we we don't put um, to practice what we find in the Sermon on the Mount, then we're in danger of inviting storms into our life. There are also storms that come that doesn't matter how godly you are, how much you apply the Sermon on the Mount, there are storms that are going to happen to all of us. Relational conflict, financial trouble, sickness, pain, ultimately death for all of us, right? These are other storms that are coming for all of us. They will find us, no matter what kind of life or how godly you are. It's just a part of being in this broken world. So there's really three people in any given time in a room, right? You have people who have, who have been through storms. They're in the, it's in the past, though. You have people who are going through storms right now. Maybe that's some of you in this room. You feel like that. And then there are people that storms are coming. Maybe you're not in a storm now, but storms will come. And I think what this teaching is hopefully producing in us as we walk through it is that we, we, we become more aware of what is the foundation for our life. Like, what are we really building our life on? What are we really seeking for value and meaning and joy and freedom? Because if we try to build our lives around things that our culture says are valuable, like maybe greed, materialism, competition to get ahead in life, appearance, comfort, consumerism, eventually the storms of life will reveal what the foundation is like. It's just going to happen. That's how houses topple, right? That's how houses become um, unlivable because over time, the foundation became weak and nobody could live in that house anymore. And what our world does is oftentimes just the world tries to prevent or avoid or to minimize these storms happening. But we all know that that's impossible. These storms are coming for all of us and they're outside of all our control. So with this picture that Jesus gives us, hopefully a vivid picture now in our minds, he gives us two choices. Two men, two homes, two foundations. Is your life going to be built on rock or is your life going to be built on sand? Jesus or something else? So if I'm hearing this, I want to know, okay, hopefully we're all like, I want the rock, right? Let's, let's build our house on the rock. That's wise, it's prudent, um, but how do we do that? Right, that's my follow-up question. If this is so important, I want to know how to do this. How does this work? And really, Jesus gives us the answer. It's, it's, it's direct. It's not, it's not easy, but it's direct. It's, it's simple to understand. It's you hear Jesus' words, and you do them. Right? That's, that's the person who said It's like a wise man who heard the words and actually did them. That is the person who built their house on the rock. Okay? Both people here... Both people hear exactly what Jesus taught, but one does them and one does not do them. In the the book of James, chapter 2, James here is talking about faith and works. And he says this along the same lines. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. James' point here in this context is basically saying, those works aren't going to save you, 
You're not saved by your works, but if you have a genuine faith through God's grace and your mercy, you will produce works. Like works reveal that someone has a genuine faith. And in verse 19 there, he talks about, he throws out the demons here because the demons have perfect theology. They know all the doctrine. They know God really, really well. They know more than we do, but they don't want to do any of this stuff. They don't honor God. They don't glorify God. They're in constant rebellion against God. So he's comparing people kind of who, who hear it and don't do it to, to the, the kind of level of um, theology or, 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 or knowledge that the demons have. So I think that the, the test maybe right now to ask, is my life built on the rock or on the sand, is to how have you responded as we've walked through the Sermon on the Mount? When you've heard these teachings, have you um, tried to maybe skirt some of these things? Have you tried to resist them? Maybe downplay them? Dismiss them? Maybe pick and choose what makes the most sense to your life? And if that describes you, you, you may be attempting to build your life around or on sand, on dirt. But as you've uh, thought through the Sermon on the Mount and you've heard these things and you've read the text, if you said, man, this sounds good. Like, I, I want that. Like, I want to be the kind of person who can do the things that you're calling me to do, Jesus. Like, I, I want to humble myself. I, wanna, I need help. I want to learn how to walk in your ways. I want to live a life that embraces the kingdom of God. If, if that's you, you're on a good track. You're maybe building your house on the rock. Not perfection, not even doing good at living the Sermon on the Mount right now, because those things are hard. But it's this posture of humility to say, yeah, I want that. I want my life to be marked by the kingdom. And so I, I think what Jesus is, wants us to be, right, he's not trying to create the, just massive amounts of anxiety. He's not trying to throw us into um, a panic. He's not trying to do that. Um, what he wants us to do is, is, I think, to have a healthy level of fear. Um, there, uh, all throughout the Bible, fear is not a bad thing necessarily. There's a healthy amount of fear to have uh, from God, not one that leads us into uh, being paralyzed by fear or being into anxiety, but a healthy amount of, yeah, you're God and you have the authority to, to say these things. And so I need to have some humility when I listen to these things. So maybe for some of us, this is a wake-up call. Maybe for some of us, this, this is awaking us from um, some slumber that we may be in right now. But I think the main thing, the main action step that Jesus wants from us is to practice these teachings. Because that's how God gets glory and honor if we actually live according to the kingdom. And so let's look at this idea of practice really for the rest of our time. Uh, this word for practice or to do, um, the original word is poieo. And I, and I want you to know that because this word is mentioned 22 times in the Sermon on the Mount. 22 times in three chapters of the Bible. That's a lot. So there's a point here that Jesus is trying to make. And this is in the context of doing the will of God or practicing the way of the kingdom. Listen to Matthew 5, 19. We looked at this several months ago. Jesus says this, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And we've seen in verse 24 even today, uh, the person who hears my words and does them is wise. And, who hear, and the person who hears them and does not do them is foolish. Okay? So ultimately, Jesus wants us to do, he wants us to be doers. He wants us to do the things that he's called us to do. But we know from the scriptures, and really even know from the gospels, that there's more to, to this than just hearing 
and doing. Now, what Jesus actually wants from us is our transformation. He wants us to be transformed. He wants us to uh, live a life that, that is full of freedom and joy and meaning and to feel that we're valued. So he, he, he knows that he's not just teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, just information. It, it's so much more than that. He wants us to take the information he's given us, the teachings he's given us, and actually put them into practice, which will eventually lead to transformation. He's, saying, he's thinking over a long period of time, if we apply these teachings, we will be transformed. It's not just information he's about. He wants transformation. I think more than ever before, this is difficult for us, more than ever before in our, in our world, we have access to information at, the, at our fingertips. Mostly because the internet and things like Google, like we can know a lot about anything just like that. But we become overwhelmed with all the information we, go, we, we know. And I think we just can look at our lives and we, we, we understand that knowing does not necessarily get us to doing. And really knowing doesn't for sure get us to wanting to do the things that we need to do. And I think in, the, in our Western culture in the church, um, oftentimes that information, if we just have the right information, that will lead to transformation. Or if we just have the right information, if we just know the right things, and that's given to us with some inspiration or with a really gifted speaker, then we go home and work really hard, and then that will lead to transformation. That is not what Jesus is trying to do here. Like, that doesn't even work on, 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 on kind of insignificant things in our life, or maybe things significant, but maybe aren't necessarily things that Jesus is calling. Take any, um, any habit you want to change, right? So I want to I save more money. I want to be a better saver. I could stand up here and say, hey, saving's good. And I could say it with a loud voice and really try to inspire you. And I could say, now go try really hard to be a savior, a saver. Go try really hard to be a saver. You come back next week, are you going to be a saver? Are you going to have this lifestyle where you're just a savior? No, it doesn't work like that. That's not how people change. Take um, uh, sleeping more, right? We all hear seven to nine hours of sleep. We should aim for eight, yada, yada, yada. So we all know that sleep is good. A lot of us probably need more sleep, right? So I say, hey, sleep is good. Yes, let's go do it. Try really hard. Next week, tell me how that goes. Probably for most of us, that's not how quick the change is going to happen. Watching less TV, right? We all, maybe, most of us want to watch less TV. So I'm going to say, hey, you can do other things by, than just watching TV. Let's watch less of it. Go try really hard. Come back next week. How, how'd that go? Probably not going to work that well, right? Take Something like lust that was mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Okay, so lust is bad. We see that from the Sermon on the Mount, so stop lusting. How's that going to work next week, okay? It's probably a little bit more difficult than that. It's deeper than that. Stop worrying. Hey, you don't need to be anxious. It'll get better. It always gets better. Just wait. Time, time will heal that, so just stop worrying. Tell me how that goes next week. Well, that's, that's not going to help your anxiety. So I think we all understand that just... Knowing something doesn't lead to us just doing it. We can know a lot of Bible. I think we can come here Sunday after Sunday, and, and that's, those, aren't, those are really important things, right? But I don't think we're doing necessarily the work that's required that will lead to transformation. Some of us, I mentioned anxiety. Some of, some of you are still gripped by anxiety in this room. We preached on it about a month ago, right? Like, what's going to change? Like me just telling you, hey, stop being anxious? No. There's some work involved to overcoming your anxiety. Maybe you have baggage from the way you were raised by your mom or your dad. Have you dealt with that? That's going to stop us from being transformed into the person Jesus wants us to be. 
Are you still getting your identity from what you accomplish in life? Then your identity from a loving father who says, I love you and you're in my family. Like, how's that going? Maybe there's still lack of self-awareness inside of you. There's a lack of, of, of presence with the pe- being physically and, and fully present with the people that are closest to you. People who mean the most to you. Why aren't you fully present with them? Dealing with the shadow side of your, of your life, the flesh, the scripture calls it. Things like wounds from your past that maybe you haven't dealt with. Weaknesses that you just have because we're not all gifted at everything, but you're, you feel shameful because you're weak at areas. Or maybe these little dark corners of life, these sins that you haven't really dealt with. Like, how are those things going to get dealt with that will lead to transformation? Well, it's taking the, the teachings of Jesus in the scriptures and doing the work of practicing them marinating on them, meditating on them, being in community where we can remind each other of the goodness of the gospel, and over a long period of time, it will lead to transformation. One thing that whenever I hear a, 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 Christian, a Christian, usually in another country, get martyred for their faith, right? one of the questions that comes to my mind is, how in the world do they do that? Right? Like I start thinking, in that moment when they know that torture is, is imminent, Maybe death is coming. How do they stand firm? How do they say yes in that moment to Jesus and not just whatever they need to do to get out of that situation? Well, it's, it's, it's not something that magic that just happened to them. They've more than likely, and I've you know, got to meet some people who have been um, tortured for their faith, and usually it started years and years ago of this day after day pursuing the Father. In the normal things of life, they created a lifestyle, they created habits that they spent time with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They, they had practiced the things that Jesus lays out in the scripture. So when it was time to, to say yes to Jesus and maybe no to whatever else that they were being provoked to try to do, they, they had tasted freedom. They had tasted joy. They had tasted the goodness of the Father. So they said, you know what? Do your worst. I know my Savior. I know where I'm going. Take your best shot. And what, what does it take for us to be those kinds of people? And I think it takes for a long time, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, to practice the things that Jesus is talking about. Okay? And we have to remember here, I want us to, to, to remind us, bring us back that Jesus is talking to his followers. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to those with saving faith. So this isn't a sermon about, hey, do all these things in the Sermon on the Mount in order to be saved. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says, if you've been saved, Build your house on the rock. Because you've been saved, build your house on the rock. One pastor I was listening to this week compared this to, to uh, the Christian life and practicing the teachings of Jesus more to sports than our typical Western classroom. Because there's training involved. There's practicing involved. There, there's, there's difficult seasons. There's seasons of victory, right? It's more of a sport than, hey, here, here's some teaching. Go home, study it well, come back and take a test or fill out, you know, do an essay, Right? Like, it's more sport than it is classroom. And so this idea of practicing consistently, I think, helps us when we think of sports. Now, the, the process the Bible puts forward to transformation, this is important, so hang with me here, that we take the faith that has been given to us, and through the power of the Holy Spirit given to us, it, it, we practice the things that Jesus is calling us to do. We work on them. We're intentional. We, we're, 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 we're really accurate when we, when we reflect on our lives and we try to know ourselves and become more aware. And little by little over time, we start to look more like members of the kingdom of God. 
Over time, we become the kind of person that can withstand the storms of life better and better if we take it one day at a time. Practice, practice, practice. Now, for some of us, this is maybe a wake-up call, right? Some of you in this room, you're professing Christians, like probably maybe many of the crowd here, crowds that were listening to Jesus, they were, they can, they were considered his followers. Maybe this is a wake-up call. Like, where are you building your life on? The sand or the rock? But I want to also address some of you in this room, maybe in the midst of a storm, and you're getting battered. You're feeling like you're about to get taken out. You're doubting. You're struggling. This isn't fun. There's not a lot of joy. There's not a lot of peace. There's not a lot of hope. And what I want us to remember is that our faith is already built on the rock. Jesus is the rock. Our faith is built on that. Our faith, we've been given the rock, right? We have the rock there. Now, our role is to build our lives upon the rock. But if you're in the middle of a storm, hang in there. Know that the rock has you. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 6 and 7. This is Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples. I love this passage. Um, and, and if you're especially in the middle of a storm, just listen to Peter here. For it stands in Scripture, he's quoting Old Testament. He says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone. It's the, the most important stone that everything else is built off of. Chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. End of story, period. It is finished. Like, if you have faith in Jesus, you have the stone. You have the foundation already. It's there. Listen to verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's interesting that you hear Peter there almost echoing some of the things of the passage we looked at today. So Jesus is our shelter. Our job is not to stay in the shelter. Our job is not to, to try to, to save ourselves or to, 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 to fight the storm. We have someone who's already fought the storm. We have someone who's already weathered the storm. Jesus is our rock. Jesus is our salvation. If you're, if you're struggling with the Sermon on the Mount and you've messed up and you, and you struggle to, put into, to, put it, to apply everything we're talking about, go back to the rock. He loves you. He approves of you. You have a father that's welcomed you into his family. You have a savior. You have one that's taken on everything we could possibly face in this life. He loves you. So how are we going to do this? We say this a lot, right? It's, 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 it's knowing God, spending time in the word, right? Like not just knowing information, but actually hearing the voice of the spirit as you connect with God in his, in his word. It's about relationship. It's about having a firsthand knowledge of God. It's about spending time in prayer, both listening and and talking to God. It's a relationship. It's, it's about the discipline of giving yourself to community, giving yourself to brothers and sisters in Christ, saying, these are my people, this is who I'm going to anchor down with, and I'm going to live life with these people because I need them and they need me. That's part of practicing the way of Jesus. It's being good stewards with everything God's given us. We go on and on and on, right? So these are things that we have to build into our lifestyle so that we will build our life on the rock. Jesus that, is, that, that has already been given to us for those who have faith. Let's pray. Father, as we wrap up um, this sermon, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful once again um, how in your divine providence that 2,000 years ago when you preached 
this sermon just feels so pertinent and relevant to our day and age that we need to hear the words that you've given to us in your word the last four or five months. So help us. Help us be humble. Help us come to you and, and, and as needy children who are in your family, but we're children. We all have a long ways to go. We have... Oh, um, help us be humble. Help us remain childlike. Help us come to you asking your spirit to fill us so that we can be the kind of people who build our lives on you, the rock, and work to practice the things that will lead to freedom and joy, that we will practice the things that will lead to giving you honor and glorifying you. And so when the storms of life do come, we can believe, we can have faith that you are our rock. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.